Welcome to the Revelation Church podcast. We trust today's message will speak to you. If you'd like to get in touch, just drop us an email at hello at revelationchurch.org.uk. Good morning. We have arrived at the very last sermon of our series. Um, did we like it? Yes. Yeah, great. I have actually a test for you. We're going to go through all of the kings that we've looked at. Um, we have, I, I think we've had 12 kings so far. Today's king, before I'm going to introduce him, we're going through all of them. We're going to see if you all paid attention. Um, the title of the series was Good King, Bad King. And I just need you to use your thumbs, okay? Um, it's very, very simple. Don't worry too much. Um, two thumbs up is a really good king. Just solid, you know, very solid. Don't worry about, you know, it doesn't need to be perfect. Only today's king is. Um, just a really good king, okay? Spoiler, sorry. <laughs> and um, if, if it's a king that started really well, but ended badly, one thumb up and one thumb down, okay? Doesn't really matter which one. We don't do it the other way around, so don't worry. Um, finally, well, you guessed it, like bad king, thumbs down, right? Okay? So we do the very first. We have the very first. We've got some slides. Um, these are the three kings that ruled over the united kingdom of Israel, right? So Israel and Judah were still one kingdom. Um, Saul was the very first king that was appointed. What do we think? Ooh, interesting, okay. I see a lot of mixed mixtures. I see also some thumbs down. He, he actually started off quite well. He actually started off really well. Um, we also know that at some point he turns very rebellious and um, does not obey God's commands. And at the end, God says, I'm going to appoint someone else, someone after my own heart. And that is our next king, David. A little bit easier. Clinton, that's harsh. <laughs> I would say thumbs up. Yeah. We, of course, we, we know. Yeah. <laughs> We know, we know David wasn't the perfect king. We know that. Um, he actually sent a man into war to die so he could marry his wife. So it's, don't do that. It's not good. But he also was a man after God's heart. And in everything, even when he made the mistakes, he would actually always come back to God. And this is very unique. So if we, if we look at all the kings that we've looked at, very few um, if not any, like I think, I think there's only one king who really, truly, faithfully came back to God all the time. And this is actually the reason why in 2 Solomon 7, we have this beautiful story whereby David, say, David says to God, I want to build you a house. I want to build you a temple. And God's response is, you're not going to build me a temple because you've waged too many wars. There's blood on your hands, but I'm going to build your house. I'm going to establish it forever. And on your throne, there will be a king forevermore. So this is a really important like, little pointer to where you're going today. Because we know that also that the line of, of kings ended, right? Last week, we were looking at Zedekiah, the last king. Um, but this is really important to today. The Davidic covenant, it's called. Okay, Solomon, his son. What do we think? Yeah, very good, very good. Mixture. He started off incredibly well. Wisest man on earth, but also, um, well, actually, let's, let's stay with the good stuff. He built the temple that David wanted to build. 
really, really high of his, um, of his career. He also, under his, under his rule, Israel became an incredibly affluent, wealthy, um, very thriving nation. Um, so it's actually the height of Israel at this, at this stage um, with Solomon. So he was a, re- a very wise king. He ruled very well. But we also know he had many, many wives, 700, in fact, and 300 concubines. Um, and those wives, um, many of them did not believe in, in Yahweh, the God of Israel, and followed other gods. And towards the end of his life, we know Solomon built these high places for his wives so they could worship their gods. Um, note, high places, important. Okay, next we have his son, Rehoboam, the stubborn king. Yeah, it's, it's pretty bad. It's pretty bad. Um, well, the picture says it all. Under his rule, the kingdom divided, right? So he, he was foolish. And um, we've got Israel in the north, and then we've got Judah in the south. Um, Jerusalem, where the temple is, is still in the south in Judah. Um, but from this moment onwards, we've got loads of strife, tension between the two. Um, and there is, uh, there's basically Rehoboam's folly leads to this, this split. Um, so bad king, definitely. Um, what is also interesting here is, um, let's just, okay, yeah, so we, I put some of the kings in, in brackets, that's the one we skipped, okay, so that's, don't worry too much about them. Asa, the devoted king, do we remember? What do we think of him? A lot of mixture, yeah. Okay, what do we have? Two thumbs up. He was actually a good king. It says in the Bible he, he, um, he followed in the line of David, um, but there's a little but. Under his rule, the high places were not taken away, um, and he also loved a plan B. He really loved a plan B. He went to Assyria, tried to um, make a conspiracy so he could protect himself against an invasion from Israel, so one of the first wars between the two. So there's a little bit, it's all across the board, good, but so-so. And there's these high places again. So Jehoshaphat, the God-fearing king, what do we think? That's it. It's again, it's very similar. This is actually, he's very, very similar to his dad, Asa. Um, Also loved his plan B. And um, actually gave his, his own daughter into a marriage alliance with Ahab, the king of Israel. Bad, bad king. From this stage onwards, we only have bad kings in Israel, right? And all the kings we look at from this moment on were the, were the Judah, Judah's kings. Um, okay, next one. Next slide. We have Jehoash, Joash, the fundraising king. What do we think? Oh, there's, there's more doubt here. I love it. <laughs> do we still remember? He was the one who, um, who was hidden in the temple until he was seven years old. Um, and then started to um, collect a lot of um, just goods and, and money to repair the temple, basically. But we also know he ended badly. So in Chronicles, it says that towards the end of his life, um, did a lot of idolatry and completely fell from grace. Um, so that's interesting. Amaziah, the reckless king. Okay, I would say similar, similar. Um, Started off really well. Um, actually, the Bible says he did was right in the eyes of the Lord, but ended badly. Um, and Uzziah, the warrior king, do we remember? This is Alice preaching. 
Uh, Alice got it right. <laughs> I'm glad. Um, he started off really well, was a very strong uh, ruler, um, but he, remember, Alice really emphasized this, he grew proud. He became proud and turned his back to God. Then we have the very last slide. So these are the last ones. Hezekiah, the praying king. You remember what happened? So Assyria invaded, and there's this, this big siege, and Hezekiah prays, right? It's actually, he was an excellent king, outstanding king even, okay? So really, really good. Um, under his rule, so the high places, remember, that we talked about earlier, under his rule, he actually removed the high places. And Josiah, the reformer king, what do we think of him? Yes, very similar. Also, um, he also removed the, the, high, the, the high places. This is actually what it says about him. It's really interesting. Um, before him, there was no other king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his might. According to all the law of Moses, nor did any like him arise after him. That's quite a legacy. That's really good. Um, yeah, this is, this is what we should aspire to, right? This is a good, this was a great king. Then last week we had Zedekiah. What do we think? Awful, one of the, one of the worst, one of the worst, unfortunately. Um, under his rule, Judah went into exile. So we already know under Hezekiah when Assyria invaded and came all the way to Jerusalem. This is all already when Israel is, is, is already taken up into the Assyrian um, kingdom. Uh, and under Zedekiah, Judah basically undergoes the same thing, but, on, but with the Babylonians. Okay? Well done. <laughs> Applause for yourself. Great. Um, so before we turn to today's king, I'd like to pick out three major takeaways from, all, from this big series that we did on the kings. Okay? So firstly, it's a bit of a reminder, really. Um, in this whole series of kings, it becomes very clear that this, this, this idea of having a king was, even at the best of times, only a second best. It's, it's important that we remind ourselves. Um, what I mean is that God always intended himself to be king over his chosen people. Okay, we, if we go all the way before Saul, the first king, um, it's in 1 Samuel 8. It says um, that the people go to Samuel and they say, we want a king. We want to be like all the kingdoms around us. We want to be protected. We want to be, we want to be defended. We want to have a king that can lead us into war, etc. And this is what God says to, tell, to Samuel um, after they, they've come to him. Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. Okay? So God's intention was always to be king over his chosen people, over Israel. Um, and the fact that Israel desired a king, a human king, in and of itself was a rejection of God as king over them. It's very interesting. Um, I believe this verse that we just looked at with Samuel, I think it also says a lot about God's character. He, was, he wanted to be king over his people, but he, he also wanted to be chosen by his people. So he listened, he gave them a king, right? And actually, very powerfully, as we will learn today, redeems this, this, this desire that he thought was, was wrong. Um, but at the same time, God, clearly God wants our worship, right? He, he wants our allegiance freely given. So that is, a, is an important takeaway. Okay, the second one is um, 
fairly straightforward, but the people generally followed their king. So if, the, if there was a bad king with bad ways, the people generally had themselves bad ways as well. So when the king would, would fall into idol worship, the people generally follow as well. Um, and I think the lesson here is that we tend to become what we follow. So who we give our allegiance to is also the, the kind of role model that we, that we are shaped after. Whether we like it or not, that's what happens. Um, this is because we were made to worship. We were made to give our allegiance away. It's not a, it's not a flaw in us. It is by design. God always designed, meant for us to be worshippers, to give our allegiance. Um, obviously, to him, right? So the, the problem is not that we are worshippers. The problem is that we worship the wrong things. We give our allegiance to the wrong things. Okay? That was the second one. So the third one, last one, what's the deal with these high places? It's, it's fascinating because even for many of the good kings, the Bible, the Bible frequently says that they failed to take away the high places. And if we go quickly back to Solomon, right? Solomon built the temple, also towards the end of his life, built these, these, these high places for his wives to worship the idols. He was, he was kind of like, he was found wavering between these two places of worship. So the temple was the dedicated place of worship to Yahweh, to the God of Israel. And then you had these high places which were dedicated places of worship to other gods. And there were, there were plenty of them. There were Molech, Asherah, there were Baal. There were, um, and they're obviously man-made gods, but when we tend to worship them, they, are, they become powerful in and of themselves, right? So um, there's demonic forces behind these kings and behind these ways. And so they, the people end up doing really terrible things. Today, the, the prophecy we look at today was given during the reign of Ahaz. He actually sacrificed his own son to Molech. It's awful. It's really bad. That's what made, what, what made, um, what, what came about because he, he wavered. He, he worshipped someone else. Um, but here's the thing. So the, at the same time, the temple and the high places, they kind of coexist, right? So they're, at, they're there at the same time. And even, even, if, even if the king is good and does not go to the high places, they're there. It's a, like a reservoir of, you know, of potential, potential going wrong in the future. And that's, and that's kind of, um, it's important. I think it tells us something important about our own hearts. We might be all good with God. We might genuinely be all for him, in love with him. But I think we all tend to have these kind of high places in our lives, if we are honest and look inside. Um, if I can give an example, if I, I'm doing a PhD, I'm writing a chapter, I've got these deadlines coming up. Um, the moment the press really gets on and I wake up in the morning, I have the tendency to skip my quiet time, dive right into work. And what happens there is I deprive myself of the presence of God. And that's the start of my day, it's important. Like I reset. This is the time I, I, I meet with God and I allow him to tell me who I am. So if I instead go straight into work, I, what tends to happen is that all the anxieties, all the pressures that are part of that work, they are the things that then start dictating who I am, right? That's, um, that's not good. <laughs> and there can be other things as well. There's all kinds of usual suspects, right? There's money, there's career, um, there is even relationships, and often, in and of themselves, they don't have to be really bad things, but if they, they take the place of God in your life, then you are in trouble, okay? So we have to remember this. 
Uh, and the lesson is very simple. We have to be like Hezekiah and Josiah. We have to be absolutely ruthless when it comes to the, the high places we might have in our own lives. Um, they, God loved them so much because they were so uncompromisingly in love with him. Nothing else took God's place. And that is, and that is the takeaway. Okay, um, let's go to our passage of today. Um, it's a, anyone here has been, who has been in church with Christmas? Pretty much everyone. Probably even if you don't know Jesus, you've, a lot of people go to church anyway with Christmas. I am sure you've read this. I'm sure you've heard this. This is such a famous passage, right? So we'll, um, we'll read from Isaiah 9, verse 6 and 7. It will be on the slides. And um, before I read, I'll just give a, a very quickly a little bit of context. I already told you guys about Ahaz. Um, this was the king at the time. Very much all these three, these common themes of idol worship, it was a dark time. It all This is the context in which this prophecy is given. Um, and here, Isaiah has some really good news. Let us read. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The message, there's a, a, a king coming that will right all the wrongs of all the bad kings that we've had in this time. So we actually, we looked at most of the good kings. All the ones in between, the ones between brackets, pretty much all of them were, were terrible. And there was a lot of idol worship in the land. Um, and ever since David, so that, remember the, the covenant made with, God made with David, that someone would come after him in his line to sit on his throne. Um, ever since David, we talk about this coming king as the Messiah. And this is basically this is the, uh, where we get the word Christ from. Uh, and it basically means the anointed one, the royal anointed one. Um, and at the time of Jesus, the Romans had, had taken had control over most of the um, surrounding Mediterranean Sea in the Middle East. This was a really interesting, this, this had started to lead its own life. So there was a, an expectation amongst the people that a king would come that would take the yoke of the Romans off them and would rule in, instead in their place. And this was a very, for, for a lot of people, this was a military kind of expectation. There would be a king that would wage war against the Romans. Um, now we know it's, it's very different, right? And yet we talk about Jesus is coming as the gospel. That's a, a word we Christians really like. Um, basically, that means gospel comes from God's spell, which is good news or good story. And um, that is the, basically our translation of the word evangelion. Can you say that? Evangelion, evangelion very good. This is um, a Greek term, and it basically means good news. And what is interesting about this term is that it was used by the Roman emperors. When they had conquered a new territory, they would come in and they would proclaim the good news that the emperor had come and would had, had taken control over the land. So this was a word that the disciples of Jesus used to, to announce the coming of the, of the new king. Okay, but we also know that when Isaiah made this prophecy, this was still a long, a long way, um, a long way away, a long, 
you get it. <laughs> I'm not a native speaker. So. Um, it, so the promised king was a long way off. So the kingdom of Israel went into exile soon after, as we learned last week with Zedekiah. Um, and even when they returned, all of Israel was still under the control of foreign rulers all the way to Jesus. So at first it's they're sent back, so it's the Babylonians, then afterwards it's the Medes and the Persians, and then um, the Greeks came, so you know the story, Alexander the Great conquered most of the Middle East, uh, and then afterwards there, was, there were a couple of Greek rulers, and then there were the Romans who took over again. Um, it's a lot more complex than that, obviously. This is like 600 years of history, um, but you get, the, you get the gist. There were foreign rulers in place. Where was this promised king? And a lot of people had this question on their, on their mind, right? So I'm glad you asked because we're going to finish um, with Jesus, the servant king. Now, we have, we've given all of the king's titles. And I think with Jesus, you will allow me a couple of additional titles. So I've, I have four titles for Jesus. And I'll take you through them each by, one by one to show you how profound Jesus' claim is to the throne, okay? Is he was the born king, one. He was the servant king, two. The obedient king, three. And four, um, the resurrected king. Okay? If these all hold up, it makes us understand why Jesus' life, which was just, his ministry was three years in an area not much bigger than Wales, why it sent shockwaves to the entire world, okay? And why we are gathered here today. If he did what he did, and we all believe, we believe that he did what he did, that's the reason why we're gathered in his name, and we're worshiping him, and we're doing that, right? So really important to keep in mind. So first off, Jesus, the born king. I need two volunteers with loud voices. Pete and David, excellent. You can stay, you can stay. Hey, do you have a Bible? Okay. <laughs> Pete, can you um, look up the very first verse of Matthew? Yeah. And David, can you look up the very first verse of Mark? Okay. Let me know when you're ready, Pete. So here's the thing. Jesus was born king. And what's really interesting is that these two gospels start in very different ways. But I think they point us to, to, the, to the core message of why Jesus' claim to the throne is so special. Pete, go ahead. I think you can speak louder. The son of David and the son of Abraham. So afterwards, we see this whole genealogy. And a lot of the kings that we looked at today, the last couple of weeks, are actually right in, there, in that genealogy. Um, and it goes all the way to Joseph, who was in the line of David. And then we know that from Mary, the wife of Joseph, Jesus is born. Okay. And that's why there's this claim, son of David. He was born in, in the line of David. It's, a, it's extraordinary because here is someone who indeed came in the line of David. And he was born in the, in the city of Bethlehem, the city where David was born. Uh, and also that, all of this was prophesied in the Old Testament. We have loads of reference to this. And if you read the, the Gospels, you actually see all of these pointers. Okay? But he was also begotten by God because we know that Mary... Um, was made pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Okay, David, please, the first verse. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophets, 
Yeah, <laughs> it's fine. Son of God, that's the important bit. Son of God. So we have Son of David and we have Son of God. We have fully human and we have divine. This is incredible. So this is, remember what we, what we started with. So when, when God told Samuel, I'm going to give you a king, but I really, really wanted to be king over you. This is God's way of, of redeeming all that. He put his own son on the throne of David so that he, God, might rule over his chosen people. Okay. Are you with me? Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> and this is confirmed again. I mean, there's uh, the very first verse of, gospel, of, the, of the gospel of John says, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. So this is all confirmed. Um, Jesus, fully human, fully God, came to rule on the throne of David. Um, and I think that it's no coincidence that he comes to his own people, to Israel. It's an important element. He said, I came to the lost sheep of Israel. And he, there's, a, there's a couple of moments in his life where he's presented with um, Gentiles, non-Jewish people who come to him and want something and want, be, want to be healed. And he is a little bit, you can see the reluctance. He says, I came, for, I came to Israel. And, it, and I think here's the thing, that Jesus wanted to make clear that he was, he was going to fulfill all those prophecies that God had made. But through his death and his resurrection, he opens up all of these promises to all of us as well. And this is the reason why, even though most of us here are, are Gentiles, are non-Jewish people, um, we get to be included in that promise. Okay, second, Jesus the servant king. Remember how Israel and Judah followed the whims of their kings? So they were always kind of following whether they were good or bad. So let's see if Jesus is a king whose ways we um, would like to follow. I'd quickly like to read to you a story from John 13. I'll, I'll just take a little passage. And there's this beautiful scene where Jesus is having a meal with his disciples, and this is what happens. Mind the wording. This is incredible. Jesus, knowing that the Father had handed all things to him and that he had come from God and was going back to God, got up from supper and laid his outer garments aside. And he took a towel and tied it around himself. Then he poured water into the basin and began washing the disciples' feet and wiping them with the towel which he had tied around himself. Jesus' ways was a life filled with service to others. So he healed the sick. He freed people from the demonic oppressions they had. He raised people from the dead. Um, forgave people their sins. It was a life of service to others. And he calls on his disciples to do the same thing. So this is a, a king that gives us the good example. And it's, it's a really good one to follow, right? It's a really, really good one um, for us to completely give ourselves to. But he also did this, quote, knowing that to him was given all things in heaven and earth. He did this knowing that he had all the authority given to him by the Father. He did this as, as king. Thirdly, Jesus the obedient king. Everything Jesus did, he did in perfect obedience to the Father. So he constantly emphasizes that Everything he, he said, everything I do, there's nothing I, I do that I don't see the Father do. And everything he was always following the Father's will perfectly. Imagine a king that would have done that in the, in the old times. It would have been the perfect king, right? 
would have been the sinless king. Um, none of the kings we looked at lived up to this standard by a margin. That's why in the beginning we had a bit of grace, right? Thumbs up. Not quite perfect, okay? Jesus was fully perfect. And there's more to this. His obedience led him to the cross, we are told. And his obedience also led him to earn the crown. This is what it says in in Philippians 2, um, in verse 8. It says, And being found in appearance as a man, he, Jesus, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So it's Jesus' obedience that led him to the cross. He was so obedient to the Father that he died um, for us. That was the will of the Father. He, he, he fulfilled it completely. In Hebrews 1, we are told that because of what he did, because he made purification for our sins, he could ascend into heaven and sit at the right hand of the Father. It was basically his, his, his entrance to the throne. His, his way to the throne was through the cross. Um, and I think symbolically this is quite, quite clear. So he, he was given, remember, he was given a, a, a crown of thorns, and he was presented as the king of the Jews. Um, this was a king who was mocked for his claim to kingship. But at the same time, we believe that this was the ultimate act of service to, to all his followers, and that this was the beginning of the kingdom, not the end. And that brings me to the final title, um, Jesus the Resurrected King. So remember how in Isaiah it said that um, to his government and his peace, there will be no end. So all of the other kings we talked about, obviously they, they died a long time ago. And even the, the very, very best of best, they all, you know, passed away. Their, their rule ended. Um, and this is, I mean, obviously, we, we believe as Christians, we believe that Jesus, three days after he died on the cross, he rose from the dead. And, you know, Mary, and they come to the grave, and they, try, they come to find him and take care of his body. And the angels say, why are you looking for Jesus among the dead? He is not dead. He is alive. So our king is not, a, it's not a king that has passed away and is no, is no more. This is a king who is alive today. And the Bible also tells us that he will come again for his bride, his people and his church. So before we land, let me read to you from Psalm 45. Um, and this psalm is basically a wedding song. Um, many believe that this was written for... One of Solomon's 700 weddings, I guess. Um, but it's very clear from the wording that this is, is, not, is not just about Solomon. Uh, in fact, it can't be about Solomon because there is there's what you will, you will be able to tell immediately. This is, um, uh, in Jewish cultures, is also read as a messianic psalm, as something that points towards the coming Messiah. Um, from verse 6, Your throne, God, is forever and ever. Clearly not about Solomon, right? Solomon was not God. The scepter of your kingdom is the scepter of justice. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of joy above your companions. All your garments are fragrant with myrrh, aloes, and cassia, 
From ivory palaces, stringed instruments have made you joyful. King's daughters are among your noble women. At your right hand stands the queen in gold from Ophir. This is really beautiful. Listen, daughter. This is addressing the, the bride. Listen, daughter. Look and incline your ear. Forget your people and your father's house. Then the king will crave your beauty because he is your Lord. Bow down to him. Sounds, like, sounds a bit strange today, right, to ask, you, ask a bride to do that. But I think it's exactly the kind of re- response that Jesus' kingship demands of us. We must forget our past, must forget our own lives, leave it all behind, have no high places, and um, absolutely uncompromisingly give ourselves to, to God, to Jesus. Follow his, his example. Um, so yeah, we are the bride of Jesus, the anointed king. That's all of us here today. So to conclude, I would like to ask you um, to reflect a little bit. So in the beginning, we had these, these different thumbs, right? Thumbs up, thumbs down. You might look at yourself and you might see, you might genuinely see a Josiah and a Hezekiah. You might see someone fully committed to Jesus, to God, and you have, you've, you're all in. And I'm, if that's you, then well done. That's really great. Keep running your race and finish strong. So it's not about, we know from many of the kings that they started well, and then at some point they get distracted and get entrenched in their ways. So I would really advise you to be moldable and be open to correction. Um, it's basically for you, there's an incredible prayer that David prayed. Um, you will know these words. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way within me. And lead me in the way everlasting. So just keep praying this prayer. Keep asking God to show you. Um, for others, the, the verdict is probably much more mixed, right? Um, if I am honest, in my own heart, most of the time I see that. I see God's temple, God's presence, which I love. And I love going there, but I also see these distracting places that I, I go for my quick fixes and all that kind of stuff. Um, the problem with these things is that if you put your, your, your foot on one if you put your, your left foot on a rock and the other in shifting sand, you won't, you won't be standing comfortably and securely. You might be standing, but it's shaky. It's, it's, it's uncomfortable, right? You don't want to be that. You, for you, the message is, and for me myself, be like Josiah and Hezekiah. Be absolutely ruthless when it comes to the high places in your life. Take them away if needs be. And I think this is not put too strongly because when you hear Jesus' own words, it's, if your right hand cut, makes you to sin, cut it off. And it's, the message is, if, if there's anything within you that distracts you from, from knowing and loving me, take it away. Be, be, be absolutely ruthless with it, okay? The good thing is we have an example, right? So we're not doing this all to, to earn our way in. It's Jesus who did this for us. The way is not to, oh, I'm going to really try my, my, my very best and then be absolutely perfect is first of all to look to Jesus and allow him to change your heart, okay? Finally, you might be hearing all this for the first time, um, or for any reason, genuinely look into your own heart and see um, that it's, it's not as pretty. Um, it's, it's really thumbs down. Um, for you, I'd like to really remind you of the words of Isaiah. It's good news. This is, Jesus is coming 
changed everything for us. And he wants to be king of your life. He wants to be chosen by you. And this is not just a king, a flawed human king that you give yourself to, where it's kind of half-half. You, you, you're not entirely sure whether I can give myself completely because I don't know this, this, this king. This is a king that is absolutely perfect. A reflection, a radiance of the glory of God is totally safe and appropriate to give yourself fully to him.